Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Squadron, the podcast devoted to creating and optimizing a healthy and fulfilling life for first responders all around the world. I'm your host and the founder of The Squadron. I'm Garrett Tesloff. I'm also a sergeant for a sheriff's department in Southern California. On this show here, I talk to experts in a variety of fields looking for those force multipliers that I can apply to my own life. My goal is to make you happier and healthier so you can pursue our challenging careers with energy, clarity, and a commitment to our oath. If this is your first time on the show or listening to the show, thanks for being with us. And if you are a, a longtime listener, thank you as well. Our guest today is Nick Frankus. Nick is Portland Police Department. Nick's got about 17 years on the job. And uh, he's also a fellow podcaster. He's got an excellent podcast I highly recommend called Work on the Edge. It's a podcast uh, devoted not just to law enforcement. It's about all sorts of different issues for people who work in high-stakes environments. Obviously, that includes us. And uh, he's got some great material out there. And today, I wanted to bring him on the show because of an episode he did, a short episode, but something that um, I thought just immediately applied to us and it immediately applied to the testing process and that process of even just getting hired and then going through the academy and your rookie year and uh, maybe your promotion and all those sorts of things. And that's something that we often struggle with, and that's confidence. Do we uh, succeed because uh, of our confidence or our, or the struggle that we have between you know being a, a type A person who's confident and wants to show competence because competence is important in our job. And we discuss why it's important and how it was important to Nick and how his competence and his was, or excuse me, his confidence was tied up in his competence and why we need to be, uh, why, we, why we need to askew that and focus our confidence. I knew I was going to trip up on this. Why we need to focus our confidence in our ability to be courageous and our ability to be humble. It's a great conversation. I actually could have kept recording for another hour because I just, I thought so much about what he had to say was, was just completely on point. I thought for us in law enforcement, we tie so much of our confidence to our competence that as we go through our career and we, uh, you know, we get the certifi- certification from, the, from graduating the academy and we get the badge and then we get the pin that shows that we're an expert shooter and we get the badge or that we get that other pin or the epaulette or the something or other that shows that we're on the SWAT team and uh, the other thing that shows that we're on the bomb team and all of a sudden we have the, all these external showings of confidence. You know, we joke, uh, in my department, we joke about looking like, uh, like, a, like a South African or a South American dictator uh, with some of the uniforms that are out there with all the badges and the pins and the awards and all that stuff are all these, these external showings of confidence or, excuse me, of competence. These, these things that are external, that, that the public or that another partner looks at, they look at this uniform with all these decorations on it, and, they, and it, it, it non-verbally tells that person of, of the wearer's competence. And as a, as, as a result, we often have confidence in that person. And maybe, maybe that's completely justified and maybe it's not. But more importantly, it's not about having confidence in others. This is about having confidence in yourself and how those external showings of competence and how those achievements and competence are closely tied to our confidence and how they probably shouldn't be. Anyway, it's a really interesting conversation. Nick's a great guest. Uh, you can go to his uh, podcast, Work on the Edge, or workontheedge.com is his website to learn more about what he wants, uh, what he's trying to achieve out there. Uh, but uh, a great, uh, it was just a really great conversation. Nick's a great guy. And, you know, Portland's a big city. It's a tough city to be a cop in. And we talk, we touch on it a little bit. 
tough city to be a cop in just with the dynamic out there. So uh, I think that it's really great that he's stepping out there, and I always want to support another uh, another cop out there doing something good for his community. All right, real quick, to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, it's at The Squad Room. And if you do enjoy today's episode with Nick, feel free to share this with a friend, a loved one, someone who needs to hear this. Uh, but on to Nick Frankus, Portland PD, uh, host of Work on the Edge podcast. Nick Frankus, Portland PD, thanks for being on the show, Nick. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gary. I appreciate it. Uh, excited to talk to you. Uh, I always enjoy talking to any other cop in the country, but uh, another po- another cop with another podcast. So we'll get to that in a little bit. But um, you reached out to me after one of the most recent episodes, and we got to chatting, and uh, you. you- turned me on to some of your work and I, I was really 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 impressed with uh some episodes that you did on a topic of confidence which we'll get to in a little bit but for uh for our listeners uh to get to know you um tell me about uh you know your your career uh and and what you're doing well let me back up you're a cop and uh I always like to ask you know what made you want to become a cop a law enforcement officer you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I don't. I hate it when people ask me that question. Not, not that I'm mad at you or anything, but as a cop, you know, you get that question all the time. Uh, and and it, for me, I don't really have an answer because it's just I just always knew, like that's just always what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just never any question about it, and I never I never really questioned it too much. I mean, there's there's the obvious, you know, reasons that everybody says is I want to help people, um, which is true. Um, yeah, I, I've I've yet to come up with a good answer to that question, to be honest with you, because it, it just it's just always been there, and it's not something I can really pinpoint, to be honest with you. Something that goes like so. This, I was having this discussion in the car with my son on the way to school today. Who's he's five, and he wants you know, he talks about us being partners one day. Does it go back that far to when you were a a, a young kid and, and just you gravitated towards that idea of cops and robbers, or did you see it somewhere in your? Did you have a mentor growing up, a dare officer, or somebody that? kind of turned you onto it uh where do you think that that started at least yeah i mean you know like like every little kid i wanted to be the professional athlete uh that was my original kind of career goal but uh you know around high school i got involved with the uh cadet program in the the town where i where i grew up so i was a police cadet there and this is a super small department this was a total department size of five (laughs) at the time i think a chief of sergeant and three officers and uh then there was three of us that were cadets and and uh I really just, you know, I just, I, I fell in love with it then. I mean, I was in love with it before that and that's why I wanted to do it. And, uh, but at the time I was, I was scared to death. Uh, you know, I knew, so going in, going into college, I knew what I wanted to be. I went through a program called the police corps. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, I don't think it's around anymore, but essentially it's like a, uh, at the time it was like a, uh, ROTC for police officers where they give you college money, college scholarships. Um, and then you, um, then you're obligated to do four years at a police department. Hmm. Uh, in in return for the college money. So I got uh, involved in that program when I was a freshman in college. Um, you know, but at the time growing up in a town, I mean, my town was 1800 people. Uh, I had a graduating class of some like around 60 people or something like that. I mean, this is, this is a small town in Oregon. Yeah. And, um, so I was scared to death to go work for uh, a big city. I thought, I thought I wanted to work for a, a real small department cause that's all I knew. Uh, but at the time to get into this, this police corps program, uh, Portland was the only agency in, uh, Oregon that was participating in that program. So if I wanted to do this program and stay uh, around Oregon, which I did, uh, I had to be, I had to go to Portland. And uh, I mean, it scared the bejeebers out of me, but I decided to do it. Um, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. You know, now I couldn't imagine working anywhere smaller than Portland. But do you have family law enforcement and family history? Or are you the first generation? Nope, first one. No connection whatsoever. Yeah, me too. So um, 
you chose Portland. What did you study in school? Was it police related or? Yeah, criminal justice. Criminal justice. Okay. So you just explain why you chose Portland. For people who don't understand or don't aren't familiar with Portland as a city, other than that you have excellent beer there uh, yeah. in, in the city limits, what, what's what's Portland like, both as a city and as a department? How big are you? Uh, we're roughly a thousand officers. I mean, we're floating under that a little bit now. We have a bunch of shortages like, uh, most everybody, but we're roughly a thousand officers. Um, you know, it's the biggest department in the state. Um, it is, you know, Portland policing in Portland is a, you know, it, it feels like a pretty unique experience. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so uh, not completely unique to the West coast. I mean, there's other departments on the West coast that are probably similar, but it's a, you know, a, a very liberal town that prides itself on being weird. Um, you know, bumper stickers all over the place saying "Keep Portland weird," uh, and they do a pretty good job of that most of the time. Um, but that's but that's what makes Portland, you know, unique. It's it's a cool place, but there's a lot of challenges uh, when it comes to policing in that environment. Um, there's a there's a a, a loud, um, you know, a, a, a real vocal anti-police uh, component. You know, most of the most of the people in Portland, I you know, really do support the police and the statistics support that, but there's a real kind of loud anti-police element there. So that makes it challenging at times, but, um, you know, all in all, it, it really is a good place to work. And like I said, I couldn't imagine working, uh, anywhere else at this point. And how long have you been on now? Uh, let's see, somewhere between 16, and 17 years. Okay. And in that, and a half, so. that's, that's a, I mean, that's a good, good amount of time in that, in, in that, 16, 17 years, what, what assignments have you done and what, uh, where have you been? What, I don't want to say what have you accomplished, but I mean, what, cause I don't want to equate accomplishment with specialty sure. assignments, but what are the things that you've done while you've been there? Yeah, I did, uh, my first five years I did, uh, in patrol and then, uh, I ended up transferring to our, our, our narcotics unit and, uh, I did about 11 years in narcotics. Uh, just went back to the road actually, uh, back in October, um, I'm also, uh, for the last eight years or so, I've been on the SWAT team and, uh, in Portland, that's a collateral duty. It's not a full-time job. And so about, about half my time ends up being SWAT related and about half is, you know, whatever else I'm doing. And so, uh, like everybody else, we're, we're having a hard time finding people and we were cutting people out of specialty units to go back to patrol, to beef up the patrol numbers. And, uh, at some point I think the boss just realized, Hey, if you're, you're gone half the time anyway, and we got to do more with less. Uh, so I ended up going back to patrol. Um, so I've been doing that for the last couple months and, um, boy, that's been interesting. You know, it feels like I'm brand new all over again, you know, being away for 11 years, a lot's changed uh, in those 11 years. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, like I said, it's fun. It feels like I'm brand new all over again. So uh, that's kind of, that's a nice perspective on it. Uh, we're going through the same thing where we have uh, our narcs and specialty assignments going back to patrol because we're just so slimmed, you know, we're just strapped for people. Um, is it is it a budget issue in Portland? Do you think, or is it a recruitment issue in terms of having? No, it's a personnel people? issue. I mean, you know, we we've had budget things from here. I mean, it's an old budget thing. You know, for a while it was a budget thing, and so we went on a hiring freeze and mm-hmm. uh, didn't bring on a lot of people when we should have been hiring. We were we were frozen, and now we're trying to catch up, make up for lost time. Now there's, from what I understand, plenty of money, but um, we, you know, we're fighting over good people like everybody else is. Yeah, yeah, it's getting harder and harder to to, to recruit. So. Um, your, the SWAT experience, you said you've gone about half the time. Is It sounds like your SWAT team is pretty active. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, fairly active. Uh, I'd say somewhere between 80 and 100 uh, operations a year is kind of where we float at. Uh, we train, you know, a bare, a bare minimum, probably 20, uh, 25 to 30% of our time uh, at, at a minimum is, is training. Um, and then there's always other, other things that pop up for individual skill stuff or small group stuff. 
Uh, so between the training and, and the operation jet ends up being about half the time. In fact, our SWAT guys that are in patrol only count as half a body towards their personnel limit because they're gone so much. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah. So um, you may hate this question too, but let me ask it anyway. <laughs> um, what, <laughs> you know, that amount of time on, um, you know, things change. And you said, like, you feel like a new guy coming back to patrol, but. You know, I asked you why you wanted to become a cop, but 16, 17 years in, other than the pension, what do you still enjoy about it or why do you still want to be a cop? Yeah, and it's, it's interesting with that new perspective of going back to the street. You know, last time I was in patrol, I was I was the brand new cop. I was working night shift. Um, you know, I, I had a I had a partner that I worked with every night. And we were out rolling, looking for bad guys. I mean, every night we were working hard, looking for bad guys. And that's what my, at the time, that's what my idea of a good cop was, was somebody who was out there looking, looking for bad guys. If we stopped a good, you know, good normal citizen, it was by accident. Uh, we didn't have a lot of contact with those people on, on the night shift. And, you know, if we got interrupted by, you know, a call for service, uh, you know, we got a little bit annoyed by that. And we tried to get through it as quickly as we could so we could go find more bad guys. Um, you know, somebody got their house broken into, a, you know, it'd show up to their call and we'd try to rush through it as fast as we could, which I now know, uh, you know, is not really <laughs> the kind of service we're trying to provide, but that's what my perspective was at the time. And so it's kind of fun going back now, um, you know, a little bit more mature and, and a little bit, uh, with a different perspective on, on policing that I don't, you know, I still, I still like looking for bad guys and I still think that's a big part of our job, but, um, it's been fun to kind of transition my mindset a little bit to, to really being more of a, a public servant, uh, in a different way, you know, really, really serving and trying to be the best, uh, trying to give every person that we come across and every call for service, the best experience that they can have, um, which wasn't my focus, you know, when I was, when I was a new cop, I just wanted to go out and chase bad guys. Um, you know, so now it's, it's kind of fun to really focus on, you know, if this person was, you know, a family member of mine and this thing happened to them, um, you know, how would I want them dealt with? And so, um, that's kind of how I approach things now. And it's a lot different perspective than what I've used to before. So I really got enjoyed that. Um, you know, and, and I still, and I really love the, the SWAT teamwork and the, and the camaraderie and teamship teamwork, uh, aspect of that. I mean, that's, that's my favorite part of my job. Um, you know, I'd be lying if I said that, uh, you know, that wasn't a huge part of why I keep doing this because, because it is. Sure. Yeah. I think a lot of people can understand that. And I think a lot of people understand that arc or that transition too from <clears throat> wanting to go out and hunt and like you say be annoyed by the call for service to understanding the bigger picture of what we're trying to accomplish in general you know um all right so recently you started a podcast and as a cop who started a podcast myself uh good good for you <laughs> but also that's a lot of work in between the, the shift work that you're now on patrol, the SWAT call-outs and the training, uh, being relatively social or, or being, you know, being having a family, that sort of stuff. What what inspired you to start uh, start your show? And, and before we do that, too, I should say your show is called Work on the Edge. Um, it's available in all the places where uh, podcasts are available. And it's not just about law enforcement. Um, so I have some questions about that, too. But but. What what inspired you to start the show in the first place? Yeah, I mean, kind of what it came down to was a lot of the, and we'll talk about this more as we get into kind of more of my story and the, and the confidence thing. But, um, you know, as a part of this, uh, my experiences in the SWAT um, community and within my SWAT team, you know, we have a lot of these conversations about just kind of different mindsets about things. 
Um, and, and we learned a lot of lessons, you know, that, um, you know, that, that applied in these, what I call high stakes situations, you know, we're in this, you know, in police work in general and, and, in SWAT stuff, you know, specifically we're, we're dealing with situations that not, I don't want to make it overly dramatic, but there is a real kind of life or death, uh, you know, aspect to some of these things. And so it's important that you, you know, kind of bring your best to it. And so, part, you know, th- th- one of the things I love about our team is that we really have a lot of these conversations about mindset and, and ways to, to train and, and ways to think about discipline and ways to talk about teamwork and leadership. And we have these conversations and I just thought, man, it's a shame that, you know, these conversations end here, you know, that so much of these, these talks we're having and these lessons that I learned, um, in these, in, in this environment, uh, they are, they're applicable to so many areas of our life. And so I really wanted to start um, spreading those messages to people who may not have the opportunity to have those kind of conversations that, that I was having on a, you know, pretty regular basis. And I, I really enjoyed it. And I thought maybe there'd be some benefit for other people to hear some of those conversations too. That's great. And I think a lot of, a lot of what you talk about on your show is you can apply or you see the correlation immediately to, uh, to our job. And I don't think you're being dramatic at all when you say that some of these things are life and death. I mean, that's, it sounds, uh, it might be a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason, right? I mean, there's, right. there's too much, there's so much truth in that. So, um, is it, are you inspired then typically from these conversations itself or what are the other things that you've brought into the lessons in the, in the conversation that you're giving on the podcast? I mean, I'm talking, I mean, in the sense of, um, books that have influenced you or, uh, other people or other mentors, uh, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd say somewhere, you know, kind of all in this time frame, I, I had a lot of change just over the last five years. I've changed a lot, kind of feel like as, as a person and, and not to get, you know, too sappy on you here, but I've, I've made a lot of changes uh, in just kind of the way I think about the world and the way I think about myself. Um, and so I, I've always been a pretty heavy reader. I, I read a lot of books. I, I can't say that, um, you know, there's one particular book that that uh, sent me down this path, but I read about 50 books a year. And, and sometimes I I read so much that I forget some of the stuff that I, that I've read, but, um, you know, books are definitely a big, a big part of it. Um, and, and looking for these, these mentors, um, you know, there's mentors. I, I kind of believe in this philosophy of, um, I don't know if you've heard this before, uh, there's a MMA fighter. I can't remember the name, but he basically says you should, you should always have, you know, somebody uh, above you that you look to as a mentor and that mentors you basically, um, you should always have a mentor or kind of a peer, somebody at your same level. And then there's, you should always be trying to mentor the people below you. Um, and so, th- you know, of course there are, there are people within my department who, who I look up to and, and uh, are kind of mentors to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I try to take opportunities, every opportunity I can. Of course, I'm surrounded by my peers all the time and I, and I, and I learn what I can from my direct, you know, kind of relative peers. And then, uh, I, tr- I try to take every opportunity I can also to, you know, reach down to the people who are new at this, whether it be police work in general or whether it be uh, new SWAT op- SWAT officers. You know, to really get involved in the training and development of new officers. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a, a uh, assistant per, uh, assistant uh, instructor at, with our training division at Portland. We have our own training division, so I go out and I help with the advanced academies and those kind of things and, and help bring up new cops. And then I, I also train at our uh, Oregon Tactical Officers Association, uh, kind of basic SWAT school every year where we, all the new SWAT officers from the state come through that. So th- I think it's important to really have those all three levels of, of influence, one above, you know, above you, below you, and kind of at the same peer level. All right. So you said you didn't want to get too sappy, but we're going to get sappy. Um, five <laughs> years ago, you said you changed. A lot changed. What What changed? Well, I, you know, we'll kind of start getting into my story here a little bit. Um, 
you know, I, I'm one of those guys that, you know, I, I never, so I've, I've always had kind of relative levels of, of success at everything I did. You know, I, uh, I was an athlete, uh, played football in high school. Of course, like I said, it was a super small town, uh, but I was kind of the small town football star, right? Um, which, you know, again, super small town, so I'm not trying to impress anybody here, but <laughs> just kind of this relative level of success. And then went on, I played football at college, um, and, uh, you know, again, relative levels of success. I had, you know, a good time doing that. Nothing, nothing too crazy. But, you know, if somebody were to tell me, if I were to tell myself, uh, you know, that I actually had a problem with confidence, you know, throughout that, I mean, that would be the last thing that I would ever, uh, think that I had was a problem with confidence. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, people would tell me all the time, you know, they had, had a lot of confidence, uh, you know, they might've actually used different words like cocky and arrogant, you know, but, uh, you know, I knew what I I knew what they meant. I mean, they just meant that I was really confident, you know, at least that's what I thought. Uh Um, and and so, uh, I had a particular experience, um, you know, it it was during training at, uh, at SWAT training one day where, uh, long story short, I shot the wrong person right in the face. I shot an innocent person. It was a hostage rescue scenario. Um, this is, you know, early on in my career. In fact, within the first few months of me getting hired as, as a SWAT guy. And, uh, you know, and I, and I screwed up really bad, and I shot this innocent hostage in the face. And this is uh, training or a, a real call out? No, this is a training. In training, training. okay. Um, and you know, it, it wasn't like this light bulb, you know, switch moment where it happened right then. But that that moment started me down this road of thinking, you know, I, I, I'm like that. That could have been a real deal. Uh, I could have a call out just like that tonight after I've made this big mistake. I mean, my my confidence was destroyed at that point. Because I had based all my confidence on being good at things. Because my entire life I had been relatively good at things. And so I thought that's where my confidence had came from. But I realized then and kind of I started looking after the way I felt after I made this huge mistake was I, I didn't have any confidence. But I knew that I had to get some back because the reality of it was that night I could go out and have a very similar call out for real. And so I started trying to figure out like where does confidence actually come from because I don't have any right now and I need to get it back. And so I started trying to think about ways of, uh, that I could, uh, ways that I could think about confidence. It was actually more useful because I, I found out that treating your confidence or basing your confidence in, in your competence or being good at things, was just a terrible way to do it. Um, you know, and I, and I start, so I started thinking about what, you know, what is confidence really? Um, you know, when, when I see someone that's confident or I think about confidence, what is that? And I started looking around at the people around me who I thought were, were, were confident people, or I saw different, you know, different interactions with different people. I thought that that person seems really confident. And what was it? What, what made that difference? And what it came down to, what I ultimately settled on was that confidence is really a sense of freedom. Like these people walked around with this weightlessness. They're what they were not burdened by, you know, anything. They just, they felt free. Right. And it's like, that's, that's what confidence is. It's just this sense of freedom. Um, and not, you know, feeling free to do something like, you know, anytime you, you know, if you have, if you don't, if you don't have enough confidence to do something, you know, the reality of it is, is that you don't free, feel free to do it, you know, for whatever reason. It could be a lot of different reasons. Um, and so, I, I settled, I settled on this idea that confidence was freedom. And then, then how do you actually go about developing that? Um, and the way that we typically think of confidence, I was going to say teach, but confidence isn't really taught. And and that's kind of part of my goal here is to maybe start teaching confidence, is to start getting people to think about it. But the way we typically think about confidence is that it's based in being good at things. 
and and so we typically the the normal kind of way to to think about your your confidence is when you get good at things you will feel more confident um psychologists call it the confidence competence loop um and and so it's like as you get better at things you feel more confident which then allows you to get better at things which makes you feel more confident and it all sounds real great on paper um but it can all come crashing down real quickly as i found out that's an interesting idea that confidence is a sense of, of freedom. So you mean that, if I understand you correctly, then um, confidence is the confidence gives you the ability to go do things, or um, confidence is it's like a chicken or the egg problem, right? Yeah, that's exactly how I'm trying to trying to put it into words. So confidence gives you the ability to go out and try new things, or trying new things or different things or things outside your wheelhouse that's what gives you confidence well does that make any sense yeah and (laughs) and like i say it's kind of a chicken to the egg problem and and it is it's a little bit of both um but you know describe confidence as freedom and so Uh uh if you are if you rely on having to be good at everything in order to feel confident then how in the world do you ever start something new that you don't know anything about or that you're not good at you know, uh, I, I don't know if you had the same experience, but when I started, you know, when I want I wanted to start my podcast, I literally wanted to start this podcast, uh, my podcast, probably two years before I actually pulled the trigger. Oh, wow. And I didn't, and I look back on it, what, what, what the reality of it was is that I didn't feel free to start because I wasn't good at podcasting yet. So I was, I was studying, I was trying to learn how to podcast. I was trying to figure out all the, yeah. all the perfect settings and how to get the website right and all that. Mm-hmm. And I figured out, and I, and I just, I was telling myself when I get good at podcasting,